Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science Podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I have the real pleasure to talk to one of the two editor, Unsettled Americans, Metropolitan Context and Civic Leadership for Immigrant Integration. The book is published by Cornell University Press. The two editors are Manuel Pastor and John Mollenkopf. I have the pleasure to talk with John today. John, how are you? Very well, thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Uh, so often I'm doing these podcasts via phone or Skype. This were actually at the CUNY Graduate Center in your office, and so the quality of the conversation, I think, will reflect that. Before we get to the book, uh, this really interesting book, why don't you share just a little bit about yourself, where you are now, where you've been? Tell us about sure. yourself. Well, I, I teach in the political science and sociology PhD programs here at the Graduate Center, which is quite an extraordinary place to be because we have... 35 PhD programs, mostly in the social sciences and humanities, clustered here in an old former department store at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 34th Street in the heart of Manhattan, in the heart of New York City. So it's it's like being uh, in a, a sort of think tank of high-level people, many of whom have strong urban interests. Uh, but all of whom have links out to the rest of the city and the rest of the world. So it's it, it's a real privilege to to work here. We get great students who do wonderfully interesting projects. So that's that's all been very satisfying to me. And I've been here for quite a long time, since 1981. Uh, so I've seen the place grow and evolve. And within it, uh, we've developed a center for urban research that I've been directing for quite a while. And that hosts a number of different uh, stimulating research activities, uh, mapping demographics related to the census, labor market studies, but also bigger studies like the one that resulted in uh, our study of the immigrant second generation in New York. And and we're, we're sitting in nearly in the shadow of the Empire State Building right. with all of New York in the background, which I hope at some point we will hear and then podcast listeners will get a little bit of a, 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 an, an ear glimpse of. So let's talk about this book. You start the book by talking about the hostile but also supportive environments for immigrant integration in the United States. The book is focused on the United States. Right. This variation in what you call the warmth of welcome uh, is happening at the same time. We see both of those things. I wonder if you would briefly highlight uh, where we see the hostility over the last several years and conversely, where we see the signs of support. Well, the signs of support, to begin with the second part of your question, tend to come from the older, denser, longer experience of immigrant reception cities, which also tend to be more, more liberal, more democratic, but have a long history of incorporating previous immigrant groups. And that, of course, includes New York, Chicago, but even L.A., which is a relatively recent recipient of immigrants, but still uh, has a a vast and long history, at least since the 60s, of incorporating 
groups from Latin America and from and from Asia, East Asia, and they tend to have a different set of uh, capacities, cleavages, political responses from areas that are much newer recipients of immigration, and and uh, especially where there's a great deal of demographic distance between the new immigrants being, let's say, uh, very lowly educated, working in low-skilled jobs, many of them undocumented. When there's a demographic gap of huge proportions between them and the the host native-born third-generation American population, which is white and middle-class and perhaps Protestant and perhaps even Republican in some places, Charlotte, North Carolina is one of our cases. Phoenix, Arizona is another. Um, that created a potential in which political entrepreneurs on the right, conservative populists, can foment uh, hostility and negative legislative reactions and political reactions t- to immigrants. But not all new uh, destinations fit that mold. Uh, San Jose is another one, uh, another metro area in our, our comparison. And, and there, even though it's a very new um, zone of reception for immigrants, the immigrant populations are, are quite varied demographically. And a lot of them are well-educated and have be- become relatively high socioeconomic status groups, like the entrepreneurs, Indian or Chinese entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley. And so where the demographic distance between the long-time and newcomer populations is less, and it's harder to racialize new groups, and there's more incentive for elites to incorporate them, uh, there's been much less less hostility in, in zones of new reception. So this was a really interesting project because even though it's an edited book, it was more like a a team research project that emerged from the Building Region, Resilient Regions uh, uh, project funded by the MacArthur Foundation as a research network. And it was a pleasure to work with uh, people who both deeply knew their case studies but were also interested in engaging in comparative work uh, using a very similar framework in each of the instances. Yeah, and just a bit I'd like to sort of focus on, on just who the players are here. Uh, as a part of this volume, but but until then, um, why now? Um, what is it about this point in our history uh, that the issue of immigrant integration is fraught with such conflict, but also so many new opportunities? Place us into some sort of historical time period. Why why now? Why the two thousands when much of this data collection is taking place? Is is the, what's special about now? Well, I think what's special about now is that we've had since the reform of the immigration laws in the mid-60s, we've had a good sort of 50-year period of very substantial immigration that began in some of the long-time receiving destinations like New York and Los Angeles, but has now really spread virtually across the country, even in, 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 in basically rural states in the Intermountain West, you see lots of immigrants. Uh, and these communities have been around long enough to have, have formed real communities and become politically active and, and not just uh, acted upon but, but acting. And uh, with the advent of immigrant populations in all these new areas of reception, um, 
it's it's become a kind of national political issue, and we see that definitely in the in the politics of the current presidential race. Now, in your introduction, you stress the importance of geography and space. Um, so, on this conceptual level, why does place matter so much? First, and and why did you take this regional approach to the book rather than the the urban or or mainly city focus as many immigrant politics? Uh, scholarship has done in the past? Well, this was a focus of the whole Building Resilient Regions project, that we look at uh, urban problems as being metropolitan in their source and probably also in their in their resolution or their, their improvement. Um, and at this point, more immigrants are moving to the suburbs than are moving to the central, to the big central cities. So, and also the suburbs are becoming the places where poor people are more likely to live. The, the balance of the metropolitan poor is now in the suburbs rather than in the central cities. And these are really new phenomena. And you can't really get a, a completely accurate total picture of what's going on without taking the metropolitan scale into uh, into account. And as you say, most of the literature on urban on immigrant integration is really about the central cities. But they're the place, places that have had the longest experience doing it. So our part of our emphasis is, is looking at, at new destinations, not just in terms of new metro areas like, um, like, like Phoenix or Charlotte, but also the new parts of metro areas Suffolk County on the far end of the New York metro area has a substantial immigrant population uh, and and it isn't really exactly a population that's necessarily moved from New York City out there, but they also have far less um, experience dealing with it. So there's a whole interesting question about do they do they invent their responses on their own? Is there a linkage with the central city? To what extent do central city-based immigrant integration advocates like labor unions or uh, immigrant-serving nonprofits, to what extent do they operate across the whole metropolitan scale? Uh, th- these are questions that are, are quite important that nobody had really uh, begun to answer in a systematic way. And not, not that we've resolved them all, but we try to address them throughout the book. Now, this is an ed- edited volume, um, and so I'm very curious. Maybe you could talk, talk just a little bit about your co-editor, but, and as important as that, who you've brought together. So, so who's, the, who's the cast of characters? Um, and, and how did this group of researchers work together? You mentioned just a couple of moments ago the, the, the unique approach that you had right. that was not like our, the typical edited volume where the articles are put together after they have been written. Would you tell us about this team that you've put together? Sure. It, it was really hatched by a one of the... You know, the MacArthur Foundation has funded a whole series of research networks on different topics. And because of their interest in Chicago and Metro Chicago, uh, they were convinced about, uh, beginning about 15 years ago, that metropolitan scale research on urban problems was the name of the game in some way. And they created a research network chaired by Margaret Weir out at, at UC Berkeley uh, that had about uh, a dozen or so members of the research network, including my colleague Manuel Pastor, who's a professor at USC uh, and heads a research institute there, uh, and myself and a number of others. Uh, and this network identified a, a couple of key 
challenges that were facing metro areas, uh, the suburbanization of poverty, uh, the cyclicality or the volatility of urban growth patterns, both in terms of rapid growth and in terms of, of disinvestment and depopulation. And so we set up working groups on a number of these topics, including immigration, and were charged to go out and study a broad enough range of cities and metro areas that we got some good variation by by region, by type, and so forth, and how they were responding to these different challenges. So then Manuel and I, uh, through our various networks, tried to identify people who both had were sympathetic to this metropolitan framework and also had deep knowledge about particular places that were of interest to us. So Paul, Paul Lewis, uh, for example, uh, and Marie Provine at uh, Arizona State University had been studying uh, the, the immigration politics of Phoenix for quite some time, but Paul had done a wonderful previous book comparing metropolitan growth patterns uh, in, in two different metro areas. And uh, Michael Jones Correa has written extensively about metropolitan immigration uh, integration patterns, for, for example, in Washington, D.C., and he'd been involved in an effort to look at new destinations in North Carolina. Uh, so we, we tried to pick, since we didn't have a huge research budget to, to grow teams in each of these cities, we tried to find groups of people who were already well on top of what was going on, um, but who, who would enjoy working together. And so we, we met repeatedly throughout the whole process, uh, initially to design uh, the research, comparative research framework, so we were each asking the same kinds of questions uh, in each of the places, and then we reviewed each other's drafts when we had first drafts, and then we had, when we had something like a final draft, we had uh, another meeting out in Los Angeles where we brought a number of people in to critique the manuscript from different perspectives, including uh, Josh Hoyt, who uh, had led the um, Illinois Immigrant Rights uh, Coalition and is the head of the National Partnership for, for New Americans, so we wanted to get some policy and sort of national political people commenting on it uh, as well. So, And because of the support from the MacArthur Research Network, we were even though we couldn't fund a whole set of research teams, we had enough resources to, to really collaborate and cooperate extensively over like a, about a two-and-a-half to three-year period in, in doing the book. Now, there are all these different stories at these different parts of the uh, country, and we can't talk about each one of them, but I have a personal interest in Charlotte, Charlotte, North Carolina, one of these very interesting cases of new immigrant uh, arrival, new immigrant uh, integration. I wonder if you could just a little bit about the Charlotte uh, uh, case and, and maybe something that we learn about uh, the moment we're in that, that you wouldn't know about, you wouldn't learn about if you had focused on Los Angeles and Chicago right. and New York. Tell us a little bit about Charlotte and North Carolina. So Charlotte uh, is, is along with Phoenix and the states of North Carolina and Arizona, is, is interesting because uh, even if you have a somewhat welcoming central city government, as you do in the city of Phoenix and the city of Charlotte, uh, if, if the rest of the state uh, is reacting very negatively on the immigration question, you can get a lot of state legislation that is 
that undercuts the ability of either the city or the suburbs to, to fully respond uh, warmly and, and to create a kind of uh, city-state or metro-state tension around these issues. And I think that is something that you wouldn't see looking at California or New York, where the states themselves are basically pro-immigrant, and the state of California has just adopted a whole package of extremely pro-immigrant uh, measures. And, and that's because, of course, the, the electorate in the state of California has been heavily influenced by migration, not just in L.A. and San Francisco, but pretty much all over the, all over the state, which is, of course, not true in a place like North Carolina. Now, in the conclusion to the book, you offer this great set of, of both recommendations for researchers, but also for sort of understanding politics. I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about that. Um, as the editor of this series, you participated in this mm -hmm. ongoing research. When you stepped back and tried to make sense of all of these different interesting chapters and studies, um, help us to understand how you made sense of this. Um, what are the takeaways in terms of how does this help us better understand sort of the larger political point we're in? Um, what what are the ingredients to having uh, welcoming, well-integrated mm -hmm. uh, metropolitan areas? And, and um, what, what's missing in some parts that, that maybe could be added? All of us authors in the book probably could be classified correctly as being pro-immigrant and wanting to see a reduction in the amount of antagonism towards immigrants and an increase in their ability to flourish. And so in that sense, we all, we all have value commitments uh, and, and, and we're leaning in a certain direction. But I think it's also important to understand what the social bases of anxiety and concern and, and negativism towards immigrants are and not simply to label people as being unenlightened or possibly racist. Uh, and there, there's, there's a great deal of anxiety in the country as a whole, which I think Trump, Donald Trump has, has brought out in concern that a, a country that was founded by white Protestants is slipping out of their, uh, out of their influence. And this this creates a potential for negative mobilization around immigrants, but it also creates an opening for people of goodwill to try to build bridges. So, for example, there's a movement that started in Tennessee and has expanded to other places in the South and the rest of the country called Welcoming America that tries to build bridges between, say, the Rotary Clubs or the church congregations and the new immigrant communities such that uh, people help with bureaucracy or they tutor in English or they they help kids accommodate to the schools. And by getting to know each other, um, they realize that they have more in common than they do in a, in a situation of antagonism. And the other major thing I think that comes out of this is that even though the federal government admits immigrants and is charged with overall immigration policy, they provide almost zero aid to localities uh, which are facing the impact of immigration. And of course, the biggest impact is on school systems and school expenditures. Uh, and there's a little bit of help from the federal government on that, but, but not much. Um, so localities are really 
left to themselves to figure out what kind of responses they're going to develop to immigrants, uh, rising immigrant communities. And you can learn from the places that have done it well to improve the way that it happens in, in places that are beginning to face it for the first time or perhaps have handled it poorly. Um, we see metropolitan coalitions of business leaders as being important in a number of places like Charlotte and like Silicon Valley. And uh, so having a good, cohesive, enlightened business group that wants to offer uh, a welcoming arrangement and, and sees itself as operating in a global context as, a, as, as opposed to a local context can be, can be a, a plus. Uh, and so it's up to those business communities to really get to organizing themselves around this. But, but also, you know, labor movements have played a key role in many places, and they can operate on a metropolitan scale in a way that some other organizations might not be able to. And finally, the, f the federal government needs to take a whole series of steps, uh, if, if not to fund integration, at least to describe templates for positive approaches and, and try to support them as much as possible. And the White House has had a task force on that in the last uh, year or two and have come out with a bunch of recommendations that we we support in the book. Um, we'll see after this election whether we come to a situation in the House and the Senate where we could go back to considering some sort of welfare reform, uh, I mean not welfare reform, immigration reform that would encompass lots of different angles of this of this problem. Again, the book, Unsettled Americans, Metropolitan Context and Civic Leadership for Immigrant Integration. The book is published by Cornell University Press. John, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you.